Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Jennifer Roth. Good morning. Have you guys ever noticed that there are times in life when there are things going on that are more than meets the eye? There's something going on that can't be seen. Maybe it's a perspective that you have that you know other people don't have, or maybe you're blind to something and people around you see it, or maybe it's just one of those cases where it's hard to notice or hard to see. I want to illustrate this with some pictures this morning. So if you look up on the screen here, there's an animal in this picture. And the question is, can you see it? Give you a little bit of time. All right, Marie, show us where it is. There's a giraffe in the picture. Okay, now, now that you've seen where it is, can you see it easier? Now that you know what you're looking for, okay? What about this more than meets the eye on another level? How many of you know why I might have chosen a giraffe? I see some hands. And you would have had to have been here about 25 years ago to know that one of my first volunteer roles at Salem Alliance was as a junior counselor at Canyon View Camp, where a group of sixth grade girls gave me the name of Giraffe because I'm tall. That was my animal name for many years of working there at Canyon View Camp. Okay, let's look at another one. More than meets the eye, what's here? Okay, show us, Marie. There's the three frogs. There's nothing personal about me and frogs, by the way. There's no deeper meaning on this one. And one more. I think this one's the trickiest, really. Okay, some of you are seeing it. It's an owl blending in amazingly with the tree until you know what you're looking at. There's more going on here than meets the eye, and it's not just the invisibility of the nature and camouflage of animals. Sometimes it's in our situations in life or the training that we've received. I was out walking in a park a month or so ago with um, somebody who's been trained in the medical profession. And at the park, we passed somebody who was um, in crisis. And as we, we passed what was going on, and we said a prayer, and we got past, and I said, so what did you notice there? And she began to tell me the little details that she saw and picked up on that gave her more of the story. Essentially, she had triaged that person in about the five to 10 seconds that it took for us to walk past. I had not noticed any of those things, any of those details. They were outside of my perception, but they were inside of her perception. I imagine that police officers or social workers, when they engage in community or walk into a home, see things differently than what I see. I'm a little afraid that hairdressers have a perspective that I don't have and see things differently and are very very perceptive. You know, or a common experience. I remember 19 years ago when Jeff and I were engaged and we were shopping for wedding rings and and I just wanted to see everybody's, I'd never noticed wedding rings before, but now I wanted to see their setting and their style and and their color and, and all these kind of things. These common experiences give us a focus on something that maybe we didn't have a focus on before. One illustration of this, um, many years ago when I was 18, I graduated from high school and I went uh, to Scotland with Youth with a Mission, uh, also known as YWAM. And from my school in Scotland, YWAM sent us to Portugal on an outreach. So we ended up in Lisbon, Portugal, pretty big city. And now you need to know that I uh, was raised in Salem, Oregon. I was raised in the church in a Christian family and I went to Salem Academy High School. So if you looked up sheltered Christian girl in the dictionary, you would see a picture of me at 18. 
There was a guy on my team named Brian who had not grown up in a sheltered Christian home. He had grown up in a pretty rough housing estate in Scotland, and his path to God was quite a bit different than mine with a powerful, powerful um, redemption of, of the path that he had been on. And his life experience was different than mine, and we were both on this team. So one of the things that our team did was uh, street evangelism, street drama. Some of you might remember when groups would spread out their tarp and get a big speaker and play their music and then do this wordless drama that would show creation and the fall of man and sin and then Jesus and the cross and redemption and every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. And this was what we were doing in the streets of Lisbon. And in this street drama that YWAM was putting on, I had been cast in the role of Satan. So every time we went to get out, my costume was this billowy black thing. And now, this was 1990, friends, so my hair was already big, but we ratted it out real big, and then the full-on face paint, the like white face paint with red diamonds around the eyes and black lips, like, I was bad. And so this one day, we got all ready to go out for street drama, we got my hair ratted out, we got the makeup done, and as we're headed out, the pastor changed his mind. I don't know what all influenced that, but he says, we're not gonna do street drama today. Instead, we're gonna walk, we're gonna prayer walk through downtown Lisbon, and we're gonna climb the hill, and on the top of the hill, we're gonna pray over the city. So I rushed back into the church, scrubbed my face as best as I could, which really wasn't very good, and headed out with red eyes and black and just in ratty, and it was quite the, quite the sight. I didn't really realize what quite the sight looked like until later, but that's part of the story. So this particular day, as we walked through Lisbon, Brian, this man on my team, just kind of latched himself to my side. And I didn't think much of it. We're prayer walking, we're teammates, no big deal. He just did not leave my side all the way through downtown Lisbon. We get up to the top of the hill and he says, well, did you see him? Did I see what? Did I see who? He goes, did you see the guys who offered me drugs on the way through town? I said, there were guys that offered you drugs on the way through town? He's like, yeah, you didn't notice? I'm like, no, how did you notice? How did you know they were offering you drugs? He goes, you just know the signs to watch for. I said, well, how did they know to offer you drugs? And he goes, well, I kind of have a look because of how I grew up and you look pretty rough. <laughs> oh, there's more going on here than meets the eye. And Brian hadn't just latched him side to me that day for no good reason, but he understood that a woman walking through downtown Lisbon at that time in the morning looking the way that I looked needed some extra protection. <laughs> Friends, there are realities all around us every day that you and I don't see. Our cultural background, our experiences, and our expectations influence what we see and what we don't see. And this is true both in the physical realm and in the spiritual realm. I want us to read about it in 2 Kings chapter 6. If you want to follow along, there's a pew Bible in front of you in the rack of, right in front of you. And there's um, 2 Kings chapter 6 is found on page 594 of the Bible. If you're looking it up, you'll see a big number six on the left, and you're going to move to the right a couple columns, and I'm going to start reading in a verse uh, 15. There's a little number 15 kind of in the middle of the column on page 595. So to set up the story, there's a prophet in Israel. His name is Elisha, and there's a king who is at war with Israel. So this king of Aram is at war, and he's meeting with his officers, and he's saying, we will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But God was giving Elisha awareness of this, and so Elisha would warn the king of Israel, don't go near that place because that's where they're going to um, have battle. 
So the king of Aram gets really upset and he calls together all of his officers. He says, right, which one of you is the traitor? Who's telling our enemy all of our plans? And they're like, really, we'd like to live through this day. And so it's not us. It's not our fault. There's actually a prophet in Israel and he's telling the king exactly what we're planning to do. So the, the king of Aram realizes, okay, I got to knock the prophet out because I can't get anywhere with the war until I get rid of him. So he finds out what town he's in and his armies surround in the night. They surround this town. So we start in verse 15. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Let's just pause for a second. Elisha and his servant are in a town. The army of Israel, as far as we know, is not there. And the army of the enemy is completely surrounding it. This makes absolutely no sense there's something going on more than meets the eye. There are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. The hillside around Elisha was filled with chariots and horses of fire. Those that are for us are greater than those that are against us. God opened his eyes and let him see. We're starting a new series, our summer series through June and July is called The Invisible War. And we're going to ask God to open our eyes so that we can see where he is at work in the invisible realm of spiritual battle and ask him to open our eyes so that we can see the plans of the enemy and be prepared to meet those. We're going to talk about the armor of God, the authority of the believer, being set free from oppression and demonization and how to fight. What are the weapons that God gives us to fight this war? It's going to be an eight-week series. And what we're doing today is we're going to set the biblical foundation for what is spiritual battle, where do we see it in the Bible, and what is the nature of the enemy that we're fighting. And the first thing I want to say is this, there is nothing to be afraid of. We serve a king who is high and mighty. We just saying he has no rival, he has no equal. Now and forever, he reigns as God. And so as we dive into this invisible reality, something that for some of us might be relatively new, there's nothing to be afraid of. God has already won the victory that you and I need. And yet, if we are blind to the fact that there is a battle going on, we will miss some pretty important things about being followers of Christ. So let's start here in Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So where you and I might just see the conflict or the accusation or the violence or the, the problems going on in our world, in our sphere of influence, in our families, Paul is saying this battle isn't actually against these people. It's about the powers and the principalities in the unseen realm. There is an unseen realm and there are things going on there that you and I can't see that are evil and that are the powers of darkness and God is fighting those. This is the battle that we talk about. We see this battle starting all the way in Genesis. And, and if we read Genesis chapter 3, we find that after God created everything and it was all good and there was the perfection of the garden and he made Adam and Eve and they walked with him in the evenings, enter the serpent. And the serpent comes in and he begins to twist God's word and 
did God really say you can't eat from any of these trees? Well, no, God just said we can't eat from this tree. Well, that's because God knows that you become like him and he, he twists his lies and his, and his temptation and he basically says God can't be trusted. God doesn't want your good. He doesn't want you to be like him and, he, and pride rises up and, and Adam and Eve fell to that temptation. And Romans 8 tells us that not only did all of mankind fall to sin, but the whole earth groans for the return of the perfection of the garden at the time when Jesus will return again in his second coming. That earth fell to death and decay at the time that the serpent entered the garden and convinced Adam and Eve to not trust God. But who is this serpent? We see him in the garden, but where else do we see him? And how do we learn about who he is and what his strategies and tactics are? And we turn to Revelation for this. And Revelation is a book that honestly can read a little bit like a sci-fi novel. It's just, it's got beasts and trumpets and visions and seven of this and seven of this, and it's hard to understand. And so sometimes we can feel like it's fiction, right? Sci-fi is fiction. So, and, and maybe as Christ followers, we wouldn't say that anything in the Bible is fiction, but I wonder if in practicality we treat it like fiction. Like, oh, I'm not sure we really need to fully understand that because it's just kind of so crazy and out there. So we'll just kind of let Revelation hang out there as a thing that we don't understand. And friends, we might not understand it, but it is not fiction. There is a battle that is raging and we read about it in Revelation chapter 12. John is having a vision and he says, I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. He sees a woman and he sees a dragon and the dragon's tail swept away one third of the stars from the sky and the woman gives birth to a son. And we drop down to verse seven and it says this, then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels and the dragon lost the battle, hallelujah. And he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. So here's Satan and he's risen up in his pride and he wants to overthrow God and he takes some angels with him and there's a war and, and they're defeated and God wins and yet they are thrown down to earth. And, and there he is in the garden waiting with God's perfection created, having given humankind free will, and humankind chose to doubt and to mistrust. And here we are in the mess. Here we are in the mess. And we see what it says then in Revelation 12, 17. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children, all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. Friends, this is me and this is you. We are children of God, bought by the blood of Jesus, adopted into his family, we are seeking to follow his commandments and we maintain the testimony of Jesus on the earth and there is an enemy of our soul, the dragon, this ancient serpent, the devil, Satan, who is waging war against us because he hates all things that have to do with God and he is coming against all that is good and all that is loving and all that is light and all that is right. And he has declared war on us and we must have a worldview that recognizes that spiritual battle. Let's take a look at some verses, some scriptures that tell us what he looks like, what, what kind of things we can expect from this, this enemy of our soul. John 8, 44. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. He was a murderer from the beginning. There is no truth in him and he's a liar. Not only is he a liar, he's the father of lies. Has he ever whispered his lies to you? You're not enough. You'll never measure up. 
that mistake was too big. It's not forgivable. God can't forgive that. You can't forgive that. This person that you care about won't ever forgive that. This person that you're looking at, that person is more beautiful or intelligent or capable or valuable or worthy than you are. Fill in the blank with the lie that the enemy spews at you. God doesn't love you. God doesn't really care about you. God actually doesn't want you to have any fun. You'd be better off without God. These are all lies that the enemy perpetuates in our mind and in our world and in our culture. Deception originates with our enemy. He twists our thoughts and our words. He twists the thoughts and words of others. He wraps lies in with truth and he causes confusion and he causes despair. This is our enemy. He's a deceiver. Let's look at 1 Peter 5 verse 8. Stay alert, watching out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Our enemy is a deceiver and our enemy is an active enemy. He's not sitting back watching things unfold. He's prowling around. He's subtle and he's sneaky and he's, and he's watching and he's waiting. He's roaring like a lion to create fear, to create violence, to create anger. He's stirring up these, these anxious thoughts, this roaring. And really what he's looking for is who he can devour. The isolated, the lonely, the vulnerable the insecure. And what are his tactics? We see it in John 10.10. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose, that's Jesus speaking, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So Jesus wants to give us a rich and satisfying life. We see the contrast here. And the enemy wants to steal and kill and destroy. He steals our hope and our health. He steals love and he steals innocence. He steals provision and he steals our peace. He kills people through war and violence and terrorism and abuse. And he destroys, he destroys homes and communities and families. He destroys marriages and he destroys men and he destroys women and he destroys children. He's a destroyer. He's a deceiver. He is active and he's a destroyer. This is our enemy. This is the cause of those what just happened here moments. Those moments when somebody responds to you and their reaction is so much more volatile than the situation required. Or maybe it's yourself and somebody said something and your reaction and what came out of your mouth shocked you and you're like, why did I just respond in that way to this? Or maybe there's an area in life where you're stuck and you've been believing the lies of the enemy and you don't actually realize that you've been believing his lies and you, you just can't break through that stuck spot. Or there's an addiction or there's an abusive relationship. There are these places where the enemy is at work in our lives and we're like, what just happened here? Something doesn't compute. There's something going on here that's beyond what you and I can see. And it's then that we realize there is a spiritual reality that is beyond our physical reality. And it is because we have an enemy who has declared war on the children of God. If we don't have a worldview that includes the reality of spiritual battle, if we are unaware of what's going on around us and that it's more than meets the eye, if we're like me walking through the streets of Lisbon without understanding what's going on around us, if we are so Western mindseted, practical and self-sufficient that we have explained away the mystery in life, thinking that all that matters is what we can discern with our five senses, 
We won't have a grid or a filter for the reality of spiritual battle. And if we don't have that grid, we will make false assumptions about our own experiences and struggles. Friends, we sometimes blame God for things that go wrong in our life when really the reality is there is an enemy who we are in battle with. We will be ill-prepared for the life that is both physical and spiritual. We will be blind to the darkness that influences us and those around us. We will be fighting the wrong battles. Ephesians 6 tells us that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but you and I go through life thinking that our battle is against our parents or our siblings or an ex-spouse or our boss or a coworker or a, a student in the, that treats us wrong. Or maybe you're on a sports team and you think your enemy is somebody on the other team who's always rude and unapproachable and kind of mean. I don't know who you think your enemy is, but it's not your enemy. We're fighting the wrong battles if we're not realizing that the conflict that rises up, that the violence and the accusation and the suffering that rises up comes from this, this battle that was from the beginning. When the, when the dragon was cast down and declared war on God's children and it carries on over the years, friends, we live in what, what I call the time between the times. There was the perfection of the garden and there's the perfection of eternity with Jesus. And we don't live in perfection yet. It has been won for us. The battle is done, but we live here on the battleground. And if we don't have a worldview that understands that, we are ill-prepared. We are ill-prepared for this life that we live on this broken planet with other broken people and ourselves broken and sinful. And we don't have to fear. We have a powerful enemy. We need to recognize that. We need our eyes wide open to that. But we don't have to fear because God has already done. We anchor into the reality of what God has done. Let's look at 2 Timothy 4.18 says, yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever, amen. We have a God who is mighty. We have a God who is not afraid of this enemy. We have a God who sees every move that this enemy makes. We have a God who understands the battle and he is equipping us and he is empowering us and he has already won the victory. Satan tried to fight him in heaven. God cast him out of heaven. Satan tempted us on earth and we fell. Jesus came and he bought us back and he earned back that authority. The Bible tells us that all authority in heaven and earth belongs to Jesus. By his death and his resurrection, he already won this victory. It is done. Friends, we don't fight this battle for victory. We fight this battle from victory. It is already won and we are fighting from that place of victory though we are still in the place and time when we must fight. It's illustrated in the book of Daniel. Daniel had been praying for quite a while for something he hadn't heard from God. He hadn't seen an answer or a response. And then a messenger of God arrived. And here's what the messenger said to him in Daniel 10 verse 12. Don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. 
There's an unseen realm and there is a battle going on. And Daniel had been praying and his prayer reached heaven the day he began to pray and a messenger was sent out and the messenger was blocked by one of the powers and the principalities of this dark world. And he was fighting for 21 days for breakthrough, for breakthrough in the spiritual realm so that he could appear to Daniel in the physical realm and let him know the answer that God was giving to his prayers. Friends, you and I have places in our life where we are waiting for breakthrough where we are wondering if God even hears. We are wondering if we're praying the wrong thing, if we have the right words, if our faith is too small. And sometimes what we have to grasp is there is a spiritual battle that is bigger than us, that is in the invisible realm. There are things that you and I don't know. And God is inviting us into this battle with him as his prayer warriors, as his worshiper, as people who put on the armor of God, which we're gonna talk about in this series, so that we can engage with him in inviting that breakthrough in the heavenly realms. You know, Daniel had been praying for 21 days. I don't know if you're like me, but if I've been praying for something for 21 days and I haven't seen any movement and I haven't heard anything from God, there's kind of radio silence from heaven, I'm about 19 days into significant frustration. You know, what's wrong with me? What's going on here? Part of spiritual battle is awareness that much of what's going on is out of our hands and it is out of our control and yet we are invited to participate as children of God. There's a couple of dangers as we approach this topic, and C.S. Lewis uh, just does a really great job of explaining those. Let's look at this quote together. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So when we enter this topic about spiritual battle, the one error, the way the pendulum can swing too far this side, is by actually disbelieving that there is an enemy, that there is a devil, that there is Satan. And I would guess that in this room, most of us would say, well, we know the Bible says that there is an enemy, the devil, but in practicality, are we living as if we don't really think that this enemy impacts us? Do we have a materialistic view of our spirituality and of our life? And then when you swing to the other end of the pendulum, you have those who have a high focus on the devil and an unhealthy perspective watching over-spiritualized the magicians, if you will, who are giving too much attention to the devil. Friends, we don't want to be people who are looking for the devil under every bush, looking around every corner, being hypersensitive and superstitious. We don't, oh, the devil made me do it. Oh, everything that goes wrong is about the devil. Friends, there's a lot of influences in this world. This, this spiritual battle is played out in our culture. It's played out in our own minds, our own, this, ourself and the decisions that we make. We don't want to be materialists and we don't want to be over-spiritualizing. We want to walk this tension between the opening of our eyes to see that there is an enemy and the opening of our eyes to see that God is already at work. He is already before us. He is already moving. And we walk in this tension of the reality that is spiritual battle as God's children. We hold on to that tension. 
And as we approach the subject, I know that there are very few of us who actually come to this topic with a blank slate. I'm guessing there are some here for whom this is kind of a first introduction to, oh wow, there's a thing called spiritual battle and there's an enemy. But I'm guessing that for most of us, we've had experience. We've had teaching on spiritual battle. We've had experiences with spiritual things. And so we come from a lot of different experiences and reactions and awareness and knowledge as we start this series. I think that there are probably some who lean towards that materialistic side. The devil is fiction. Doesn't really impact my life. I'm guessing that are others that have leaned towards that over-focused, unhealthy, superstitious, that every bad experience, the devil's behind every hardship and every conflict that's going on. I'm guessing there are some of us that approach this topic from a place of fear. Maybe we've had experiences with spiritual things where the power of God was not evident. Remember Elisha's servant? When he opened the door and saw all that army, but he didn't yet see the power of God at work, fear was a natural response. But fear does not have to be our response. Yet some might be coming to this topic with fear. Others might be coming to this topic a little bit overconfident. Oh yeah, I've dealt with spirits. I know the demons have to obey and, and we rejoice because we just have all this power over the spiritual world. And I would say, be careful of overconfidence. When Jesus sent out the 72 disciples, they came back and they were reporting back and they were rejoicing because the demons had to obey them. And Jesus told them this in Luke 10, don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Friends, our confidence isn't about whether or not demons listen to us. Our confidence is that we are children of God that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, that our identity is rooted in who God says we are. Our confidence isn't in our spiritual battle strength. Our confidence is in who God says we are and that we are his children. And from that place of being his children, we walk in his power and his authority and we do not have to fear. There are others who approach this subject and you've been wounded. You've been wounded. There's been an experience or a teaching Maybe somebody spoke something over your life about spiritual things, or maybe you believed there was something spiritual going on and nobody believed you. I don't know what it might have been, but I'm pretty confident that there are some who approach this subject who've had woundedness around this topic of spiritual battle and spiritual warfare. And so as we come from all of our very different places and we look for the next seven weeks at this topic of the invisible war, what's going on in the spiritual realms beyond what you and I would naturally see and perceive, we're gonna ask God to open our eyes. To open our eyes both to where he is at work and to the strategies and plans of the devil, to reveal the lies of the enemy, to expose them and to speak his truth to us, to expose the temptation and the tricks that we might walk in his truth. We're gonna rely on scripture as our guardrails. We're gonna trust the Holy Spirit in us to guide and to protect us on this journey. And we know we're gonna anchor into from start to finish, we know that the battle is already won by Jesus' victory over death on the cro cross. There is nothing to fear, and yet there is a powerful enemy. You and I would be wise to humbly stay before the Lord in this place as his children, without fear, and yet with respect for a powerful enemy who does not win. 2 Timothy 4.18, yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me, will bring us safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, you are mighty. 
You are holy. You are awesome in your power and your splendor. You are high and lifted up. There is none like you. You have no rival. You have no equal. You have already established the victory and we are your children. As we invite you to open our eyes, would you show us where you're at work in the world around us? Would you show us where you're fighting on our behalf? Would you show us where you are healing and redeeming and restoring? Where you are working in the invisible realm to do things beyond what we could ever ask or imagine? And would you open our eyes and our minds, would you change the way we think that we might know and recognize that being aware and and alert to the enemy is important. That recognizing that this is a battle matters. That the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world, but they're your weapons. Would you teach us about the way that you have already equipped and empowered and called us to be light in this darkness and to be your armies pushing back the darkness as we hold to the testimony of Jesus in this world. It's in his name that we pray, amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.